What is transgression is not sex. No, no, listen to me. I know probably say it. Falling in love is a problem. I don't have to be helpful. Wait, why do I have to be helpful? Look at our priceless art collection and I think, what a great country. I'm good for it. I'm Pat Norman. I'm Miriam Taylor. This is Humidum. Our mission is to criticise stupid idiots, to be stupid and be idiots. This is silly nonsense wrapped in prosciutto, because what else could the world possibly need but the opinions of a bunch of 30-year-old bitter spinsters from the central coast of New South Wales? (laughs) Over the next 30 minutes, we will vent rage at the morons on social media, and on the way, we will cover philosophy, art, politics, the state of the internet and its memes, both bizarre and everyday. I veer strongly to the left, so for balance... I don't know anything about politics, but I do know how to offend people. And a recurring segment taking down the latest lefty feel-good issue being beaten up on social media. So on this episode, we explore the zombie apocalypse, cheese and insects. And we'll be hearing from correspondent Travis Gray in Inner City Scorn Cannon, which creates a space for a former Labor, now Greens member, to bitch about how asinine the left in general has become. Roving art history reporter Dr Georgina McNeil will introduce us to the world of art history in what the fuck am I looking at? And agony aunt William Buckley ministers to the most desperate and needy as they ask us literally anything. Literally. Ditch this American life, ignore cereal, and if you want Lee Sales and Annabelle Crabb, watch them on the ABC. Everything you need and less can be found on Humidum. So settle for the next 19 minutes of half-baked drivel, the last moment in 30 years of technologically propelled intellectual narcissism. There is a recurring temptation. <laughs> Pauline Hanson swanning about like uh, Banquo's ghost. There are four issues I'd like to raise in this episode's Humidum editorial. Firstly, that the Advertising Standards Board has cleared this year's Australia Day lamb ad, stating that the commercial depicted a SWAT team torching a vegan meal and is exaggerated and humorous. That should have been obvious, quite frankly. The meal in question looked like it was a some sort of kale-based concoction, and torching it with a flamethrower is not an act of violence, it's an act of mercy. The response to all of this is quite simple. If you're offended by this ad on the basis of your veganism, you simply need to grow up and get a life. Sarah Palin has endorsed Donald Trump. The Republican primaries couldn't be a bigger festival of dickheads if you tried. I've often suggested the US Constitution was written in anticipation of the invention of television, but really, Donald Trump is a loud, obnoxious, racist joke. He's an idiot and a hoon. He's as big a dickhead as Tony Abbott, and the pair of them are gigantic hydrogen-filled zeppelins that have broken away from the moorings of rationality. And like the Hindenburg... They simply crash and burn when they get to power, unfortunately causing damage to the public around them, even if it is spectacular to watch. The University of Wollongong has awarded a PhD to Judith Wileyman, essentially for completing a 100,000-word conspiracy theory about vaccination. She claims in her thesis that the World Health Organization has colluded with Big Pharma to orchestrate hysteria around some diseases and to implement vaccination schedules despite doubts about their efficacy. Apparently, the eradication of smallpox and polio in the developed world aren't enough proof of vaccine efficacy, nor the decline of meningococcal meningitis, tetanus, whooping cough, diphtheria, hepatitis A and B and HPV in populations that are inoculated. This sort of dumb conspiracy theorising belongs in poorly structured blogs on the internet, not the academy. Railing against positivist science is a waste of time for social science and humanities students. They should be debating the social implications of science, not challenging it on the basis of their few opinions. 
Hot tip, notwithstanding the neoliberalism bit, if you need to invent Illuminati-level global conspiracies to explain your theory, then you're probably wrong. Finally, last week, Bill Shorten unsurprisingly avoided taking a firm stance on which variety of lettuce is best. The correct answer is cos, and Shorten needs to start being more interesting. I never explain anything. I doubt many of my colleagues spend a lot of time with you, Sophie. (laughs) Now, regarding the zombie apocalypse. The world as it stands at the moment, it's pretty close. I mean, what's the biggest threat? I mean, children children aren't being vaccinated. I mean, isn't the next stop zombies, really? It, It makes sense to me. Do you think that people have taken their eyes off the ball and that ball Absolutely. is Absolutely. I mean, people aren't looking down alleys. People aren't in the back of a club seeing that someone could be turning into a zombie. No one's prepared. Everyone's, you know, at a cafe eating chocolate thinking shit, but no one's walking down the street thinking that person across there is walking a bit limpy. Yeah. You staggering know, a little bit. Staggering a bit, coughing, maybe some red eyes. Yeah. yeah they could be hungover. They could be turning into a zombie. No one's thinking about these things. This no one's true. ready. If we needed to be prepared for, uh, you know, a, a zombie apocalypse potentially, what do you think would be a, a reasonable thought? Look, where I would mean, you, what would your first step course of action be? Well, you'd have to get to somewhere that was secure. And, you know, we've, we've discussed this before. You know, where do you go? Every mm. Zombies get into everywhere. Mm. They climb. Mm. They get through shit, I don't know how they're so superhuman because they're dead. Yes. Well, they're undead. Yeah. But, you know, so we were going for Darling Harbour. I chose Home Nightclub. I'm not entirely sure. Look. Well, no, throw throw your mind back. What was the rationale behind Home Look, I don't know. I feel like it's a big space. I've only been there once. I got in for free and I thought, okay, there's a couple of levels. There's a mezzanine floor as well. Yes. And, you know, I've seen quite a few films, TV shows. There's Mm. always the leader. Mm. I would be the leader of Home Nightclub of that fort. I'd be the Home Nightclub fort leader. Um, And and who would you be leading? Look, I don't know. I'd probably have some prisoners. I mean, you have to have some prisoners, Mm. you know, just, you know, as bargaining chips for other forts, like your fort over on if you got the Opera House. Initially, I'd said I wanted the Opera House. The more time I've had to reflect, the more Fort Denison, which is an actual fort. Yeah, look, that's the thing. You know, we keep swapping and... Well, home nightclub, you've got a mezzanine level. Yes. Let's say all of our friends are in there. Who was the first that you decided? Um, to- Jenny Sonta would be out first because Jenny's the first to rebel. She's rebel scum. She'd be out. She'd go and she'd whisper to people and be like, Miriam has no idea what she's doing. There's no cheese left. She's going to go crazy. I don't know how much cheese Home Nightclub would have in the first place. Well, that's why I'd have to send other people people out out for for supplies. supplies, You know, I I don't know where the closest cheese factory or cheese outlet is. To Home Nightclub. Well, to Home Nightclub. I don't know. Maybe Mm. it's that pizza joint next to IMAX. I don't know. Surely there's mozzarella there. Something. There's a subway. There'd be cheese there. It's pre-graded. The food and wine company or whatever it is underneath. Yes, IMAX, yes. I would assume, has some sort yeah, of cheese. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, Blackbird's just across the way. <laughs> if you wanted overpriced cheese. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, because in a zombie apocalypse, you're obviously going to be paying yeah, for... obviously, and I really want all of that expensive yellow as Black- well. So you can send people for a supply run down to Blackbird Cafe. Mm. You feel that Jenny would be the person to defect. And on top of that, I don't think she'd wear the uniform that I'd make everyone wear. <laughs> what is this uniform? I feel like it's just a jumpsuit, maybe with a stripe or something, or, you know, maybe. What's the purpose of the uniform? I suppose a zombie wouldn't wear it. Well, so I don't know. If I'm going to be the leader of the fort, I want to not wear a uniform and I want, you know, boss people around. <laughs> uh, it's time now for Leftist Bitch About the Left with Travis Gray. Welcome to our little program, Travis. Uh, thank you. It's a real pleasure. 
No before, sarcasm. Before we dive into this week's concocted leftist outrage, let me first raise complex geopolitical issues with you. Just under a week ago, reports came through that North Korea has detonated a hydrogen bomb for Kim Jong-un's birthday. Un has always seemed a little crazier than his father ill and his grip on power slightly less self-assured. Is this just relevance deprivation syndrome with global consequence? It is. I mean, I think to start with, we can just calm down a little. It was obviously a nuclear explosion, but it wasn't a hydrogen bomb. And if it was, the hydrogen part didn't work. Uh, It simply wasn't powerful enough. So once again, it's, you know, that desperate desire to be relevant. And even if it was a nuclear bomb, he has no delivery system. And it's not like the ye olden days where they could just make a big, giant, clunky bomber and just drop it at height and hope for the best. And, I mean, why for his birthday, though? Oh, I mean, I, I absolutely think he is totally and utterly insane. So Naturally. I, I mean, I, I just, why not? You know, yeah. I mean, like, he, they certainly aren't going to, what, cook cake? They have no food. No. You know, they spend all so, their food money on nuclear. No, I mean, it's more, uh, the biggest threat, I think, with North Korea is going to be the future when whatever may lead is that there's going to be a whole generation of people that are born very disadvantaged because of the great famines they'd had. So it's not just that they're malnourished and whatnot, but long-term, they have a whole generation that is almost special needs. Very bleak future for North Korea. Uh, moving on to the uh, topic of this segment proper, what feel-good hippie outrage can you bring to us this week? Well, there's a, a good old-fashioned internet hate going in on Australian icon Barry Humphreys because mm. he said some rather unglamorous and uncouth remarks about Caitlyn Jenner. And it, it sort of annoys me with, with the broader left because whenever anyone says anything that is awful, they go, well, they're homophobic, they're transphobic, they're racist, they're sexist. Despite no evidence of, you know, that previously being the case, it's an incidence where they've been in an argument with someone and they've called someone a faggot or a nigger or, in this case, a mutilated man. And when you're having a, a public dispute or you're ridiculing someone, you'll sometimes go much further than you want, especially Barry Humphreys has a lifetime of being a comedian who pushes that envelope and says ridiculous things to provoke a reaction. You need to take that with a grain of salt. I think I've found that a lot of the, I was actually saying this this morning, that a lot of the the gay news outlets like Same Same, they're like, oh, I can't believe that the man who created Dame Edna would say something like this. Well, just let me put as a side note, gay news outlets, if they weren't, if they didn't have gay in front of them, wouldn't even survive as news outlets. No. Because they are a step above blogs, barely, and they never give you, not even... They don't even pretense to giving you both sides of the story or the no. full article. They often just give you the clickbait title, which is shocking thing happens or someone says something and you read it trying to get the juice, the nuggets, the gems. Was there more? And there's never anything there. And you're like, well, I, I could have got this on my own news feed on Facebook. I wanted more information here. But it's also and, vapid sooking that they do. So, Oh, it's and, constant and- sooking. It's a constant why me, why me. And... Look, Caitlyn Jenner gets a, a fairly good run in the press, and she it's unfortunate. It. Well, she doesn't deserve it. She's, she's a murderer spent her for a start. entire life being a cunt, <laughs> and now that she has one, she expects us all to think that it's wonderful. No, yeah. no, no. Um, a woman who is on record as saying she supports Donald Trump and has given money to his campaign—they they have no place at the table of LGBTIQ rights. No. 
she should be pilloried. She is a joke. She has very 1950s views of what a woman's place in the home and workplace is. Mm. She doesn't believe in transgender rights for workers. She talks quite nicely about, oh, we've got to progress transgender rights. What she really means is she doesn't want people to write nasty stuff about her. She's quite happy for a transgender individual to be fired from their place of work because she is a dyed-in-the-wool Republican. Mm. Whereas Barry Humphreys is also a conservative, but he has always kept it quite private. Mm. And on a personal level, has always been quite lovely. And you can look back through 40 years of records and see that he's made some quite gracious and complimentary remarks about not just transgender people, about gay community in general. And he actually spoke to, like, the gay rag newspapers back in the 70s when it was scandalous and and was brave to do so. Mm. So for gay people to turn their back on him now... Yes, I I know he's not a drag queen. He's a female impersonator. He certainly never said that. Yeah. But he definitely put a wedge in the door to allow other people to make it fine for men to wear dresses. And the the core point of it, I guess, is that Barry Humphrey's humour has always been, I mean, was anybody listening? Were they paying attention to the things that Dame Edna said or or Celeste Patterson or Sandy... Sir Les Patterson is, is probably been retired because he could not survive in this world right now. Yeah. And because people don't draw the distinction that Les Patterson makes jokes about a certain type of individual and people think the jokes are real. Yeah. You know, and so he said this now and I, I love that Dame Edna has responded to Barry Humphreys. <laughs> But that's Barry Humphreys. But that's the clue. And Barry Humphreys is a And it's just the whole thing. So he has his final tour coming up in the United States. He is an advanced age. His health is not flash. Mm. Is he smart enough to boost his own ticket sales in the US? Oh, you better believe he is. Yeah. But is he right in saying that Caitlyn Jenner is a terrible human being? Absolutely. Mm. Now, I do think he is a traitor and he's practically English. So it's a bit much that Australia keeps claiming it on him, though. I mean, he says he's a suburban housewife, but mm. yeah, he wouldn't be caught dead in the suburbs of Melbourne. Um, because if he really was still Australian, it would have been none of this flowery language. He just would have called her a cunt. <laughs> you know, and that, that's what he would have said. And then people would have been angry at that. Yeah. But, I mean, it's the same as how, once again, he was defending Jermaine Greer because despite the fact that they often say nasty things about each other, they actually have been friends for a long time. And they they do riff on each other and, you know, again, that that self-promotion. But the left has completely turned their Ah. backs on Jermaine Greer because, and it's not that she is transphobic, but she has definitely set her life for very clear and firm goals, and that's the advancement of women. Mm. And she has said quite completely that she does not have room in her life for more than one big fight. Mm. And she has not disparaged, you know, the plights and the difficulties that transgender people face, but they're not what is faced by a cisgender woman. Mm. And that's, that's the baton she's fighting for. That's the now, then she says yeah. she often uses very inflammatory remarks. She gets bites, grab lines, because she is a provocative writer who says things to get you to think. And the problem I see with this with this broader thing on the left, it's almost like a new type of fascism. Whenever someone says something outrageous, they go, no, shut that down, shut that down. Mm. Whereas the actual, the intellectual thing to be was like, well, why is that outrageous? Let's pillory them instead. Mm. And sometimes people say stuff that I, I truly think is shocking and outrageous. Like, for example, when Caitlyn Jenner is still anti-gay marriage and is pro-Donald Trump, 
but then I wouldn't say, well, ban her from speaking at events. No, I would satirise her. Yeah, I mean, exactly. that's how you should fight back. Well, that's why South Park's so effective with her. Well, I mean, South Park, uh, uh, the, the kings of it. I mean, the fact that they've been able to maintain relevance like 20 years going is just... And, I mean, it's still funny. And people who say it's not funny, they're wrong. Travis, I mean, we've... <laughs> we've <laughs> Thank you very much for your uh, Skyping into the program. Oh, it was a real pleasure. I can't wait to get back to my hardcore League of Legends, which I'm not very good at. News recently in from the ABC tells us that spider wasps have begun the incubation season in earnest, where they implant an egg inside huntsman spiders after a gruelling drag across the ground. Quote from the manager of live exhibits at the Museum of Victoria, Patrick Honan, to the ABC... The wasps go out, seek a live huntsman, and then there is a life and death battle between wasp and spider. And most often the wasp wins. A single egg is laid inside the abdomen of the huntsman, and then they leave the vital organs till last as the larvae eats its way out. The wasp wants the huntsman to be as fresh as possible to be consumed. Now, Miriam Taylor, nature, how bad is it? Look, nature isn't bad, but life in the bloody undergrowth is disgusting and I'm going to liken it to the Islamic State. (laughs) It's revolting and it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's dog-eat-dog. Yeah. But, I mean, the Islamic State at least is providing electricity to... Yeah, and I mean, it's entertainment, but, you know... Your head's probably going to get cut off and you never know when. Exactly. And people are going to watch that. No one wants to watch, what, a huntsman being eaten slowly... From the inside From the out. inside. Are you suggesting that Islamic State is potentially working on implanting eggs into the abdomens of non-Muslim people oh, look, in the potentially, Middle East? I think it's happening. <laughs> Let's forget about potentially. This is what's going on. We are talking about a terrorist organisation that is committed to escalating their online I mean, horror. for every insect in the world, for every person in the world... Mm. There's like a million, two million, three million. Let's go with 10 million insects. We're outnumbered. We are seriously outnumbered. So why wouldn't the terrorists, you know. Take, take that on board. Yeah. Learn from the insect world. Mm, mm. Oh, dear, oh, dear. Mm. I recall recently in Alexandria Dog Park being advised that there'd been a hatching event of moths. I, I can't even begin to, to think about it or, or feel anything towards it because it's terrifying. A hatching event. An event. What what signifies an event? How many things are hatching? Like what distinguishes just a regular hatching from a hatching event? Where are they all hatching? And Near me? Well, well, yes, because we were only down the road. And this, I said, oh, there seemed to be a lot of moths going around. And this woman said, yeah, there's been a hatching event recently. And I went, what? If I was there, I probably would have just killed myself. I don't want to be around for any event that has hatching in front of it. Just save time. Save time. Once they're flying, that's it. You've got nothing except a can of mortine, which sprays back in your face anyway. May as well just kill yourself. What about these powder post bugs? Well, the powder post bugs I purchased from G&D at Alexandria Homemaker Centre. Oh, yeah. A bookshelf, which everyone approved of. They thought it was quite Yeah, lovely. I think it looks nice. It is a lovely bookshelf. Except for the fact that it's completely infested with powder post bugs. And I'd never heard of it before, but I saw this little pile of sawdust and looked in and there's a tiny little hole and I thought, is that some sort of monster coming out of that? There are hundreds now. Hundreds. And, this, oh, and they're breeding. Yeah. In 
The wood and the concern is that the powder post bugs, like all insects, will adapt. Hmm. And then consume the concrete foundations of this building. I'm assuming that, you know, they'll band together and come for us. Dr. Georgina McNeil has a PhD in art history from the University of Sydney. Awarded for a fascinating work, which I haven't read, <laughs> on representations of John the Baptist yes. in Renaissance art or... 15th century Italian art. She joins us here in the studio in James's neighbour's house <laughs> to discuss... Today what I thought we would look at to kick off is why we would care what the fuck we're looking at. Um, and that's actually the name of this segment. What the fuck am I looking at? What yes, the fuck that's right. am I looking at? So we'll probably get ruder in time, but I thought at first we would consider um, the purpose of art history and the purpose of spending some time thinking, what the fuck am I looking at? I thought we would begin this journey with Picasso's Guernica, which is an enormous painting that was painted in 1937. And Picasso's Guernica, I think, is probably the best starting point in art history because it shows you the lens through which we look at history and culture and why art is important. So you can be told in 1933 the Spanish government bombed the shit out of a village called Guernica Mm. and a whole lot of people died and that was kind of the start of the Spanish Civil War, which was one of the events that led to the Second World War eventually. So you can be told that or you can see the painting and I think that you just get so much more information from the painting. So if you haven't seen Guernica, it is a, a simply enormous painting. So the act of looking at it, so your act of engaging with the work, is quite bodily, it's quite visceral, you're physically sort of absorbed in the painting, you have to walk up and down, you have to move to look at the painting and I mean, experience how, how, the painting. How large are we talking? We're talking we've got a, an image here. Of, this is going to occur, We're yes. talking, yeah, we're talking probably about 10 metres across. Like oh, it's a, wow. Like it's a mural-sized mm. painting. It's enormous. Like it's bigger than, say, a Jackson Pollock, which... Mm. People talk about how visceral and how sort of bodily the experience of his work. You've are. obviously had a look at blue poles, like yeah, like, I'm ooh. boring, dumb. I have. We will be fucking covering <laughs> Jackson Pollock and his jizzing all over the canvas later. Don't you worry. So maybe not in this episode. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow. But soon. I mean, everybody said a lot of shit. Picasso. Look, the reason Picasso gets away with what he gets away with or did is because he is a fucking amazing artist and I didn't appreciate it until I did a unit on Picasso and Matisse who were both who were both kind of important sort of watershed artists in their own sort of eras and then kind of Matisse led into Picasso but the reason that he's so enduring is because works like Guernica are so affecting so the point that I was making is that as a human You engage with material culture, you know, more so than you do with, I guess, fact. Mm. So you could read a novel about the the bombing of Guernica. You could look at a piece of a piece of like handicrafts that was made and used by people at the same time. You could, you know, look at the shell of a house that was sort of damaged at that time, or you can look at the painting and it gives you so much more kind of information about all those really important human things, you know, how people felt, how people loved, how people lived. And and that's why I think art history is important, but you get every single other humanities discipline at the same time. So you Mm. get gender studies, you get cultural studies, 
my thesis, for example, I did a, a ton of theology, which was a surprise to me, but I also looked at economic history. I looked at um, social history, the history of corporations, oddly enough, and all of it, all of it comes through in art history. And you can just connect in a much more immediate way. I mean, looking at Guernica, which um, was during the Spanish Civil War, but we know that Hitler supported, or the Nazis supported one side, and that was Franco's regime. Didn't they, but didn't they take in, so I thought the Nazis supported the the Spaniards who got, can I say Spaniards? Is that, does that fly? Yeah, no, that flies. (laughs) Um, Look, we've actually given people a caveat. Well, we (laughs) will, when I, this is used. Look, Miriam Taylor's on this podcast. Well, sorry. I've had Sal Miller basically edit out anything she says about (laughs) uh, Clementine Ford. I love Clementine. Anyway. Well, I know, but like I basically am saying everything that she'll say about her will, will be, be defamatory. Offensive. So yes, to, correct. I basically need to um, get rid of it. I thought na- the Nazis backed the underdog on the Spanish Civil War and then it was Franco's regime that got in power following the Spanish Civil War. Now, that British guy was quite hot. Yeah, but did he, he kept mentioning his girlfriend. I'm not here for that. No, I'm not here for I'm that. I'm fucking real That's busy. Disgusting. I've got a lot on my plate. So, um, the interesting thing about teaching art history is that you don't need to have ever seen the art before. <laughs> like visual analysis is a skill similar to sort of literature analysis because you can read it. You can read a work of art without knowing shit about it. When we talk about what the fuck am I looking at, mate? We are going to be looking at Tracy Emin's bed, and I am going to take you through that. I think that is one of the most beautiful, fucking powerful works of art ever created, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll tell you why. But at the same time, I I ain't got a lot of time for bullshit. I'm a very busy woman. You know, I've got a lot of dicks to look at. I don't know. <laughs> some of them are painted. Some of them are sculpted. Um, I don't have time for shit art. So the way that we came up with the what the fuck am I looking at segment is that sometimes when I go to galleries, people expect me to sort of spend a lot of time on the art, you know, really appreciating it. I can spend fucking two seconds in a gallery. Shit, shit, love it, hate it, shit. Must have painted that with his fucking foot. I could do better. That's rubbish. That's amazing. You know, like I'm I'm very quick to assess it and I want to share with you the ways that you can know what the fuck you're looking at. And sometimes, you know, modern contemporary sort of conceptual art, sometimes you're looking at an unmade bed and it's actually brilliant and sometimes it's a piece of shit. Georgina McNeil, thank you very much for your time <laughs> this week. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Welcome to Ask Us Literally Anything, the segment where we will literally answer any question you write on a piece of paper and mail to us. No question is taboo. I'm your host, William Buckley, and I'm ready to be literally inundated with questions flooding into every orifice of my face until I cannot breathe. Our first letter is from Anonymous. Great. Will playing with my breasts make them bigger? My boyfriend insists it will. He's 22 and I'm 19. He spends the evenings fondling my breasts to see if this theory works. I don't think there's any truth in it. I really wouldn't mind them having a rest. Well, that's a totally inappropriate question for this segment. (laughs) Next. Our next letter is from Darren from Riverstone. Darren writes, I recently moved to a new city and the kids are enjoying their school. However, I find it difficult to get along with the other parents whilst dropping out. And it goes on, it goes on and on and on. It's four pages, front and back. Darren, I probably recommend brevity. <laughs> Our next letter is from Cynthia from Northbrook. And Cynthia writes, 
I'm an 84-year-old woman and I'd like to become more sexually active. <sighs> the next one just says, help, bees. I'm gonna go ahead and assume that's resolved itself by now. The next question, is microwaving my dinner a nutritional faux pas? I think the more important question here is, who cares? <laughs> Our next writer is Lionel, great name. Uh, and Lionel writes, my new running regimen is making me fitter, but I'm also getting slower. Why is this? Well, Lionel, I'm gonna recommend that you have less cats. Nothing in your letter implies that you have any cats, but I'm just reading between the lines. I think you probably have about 80% less cats. If your cat to human ratio is more than one to one, you probably need to reevaluate your life. Our next letter. My husband and I married recently. I'm not his first wife. We came together with all our baggage and three decades of separate existence that included furniture, curtains, artwork, and one dog. We've had our ups and downs deciding how to fit it all into our new home together, and there have been plenty of arguments about which individually treasured possessions we no longer have space for in our new life together. We've been battling for the last two years, and thankfully tempers have died down, except my husband has started buying more, which would be fine if our flat wasn't already packed, and more importantly, if he chose to consult me before committing. If I don't like his purchases, the latest a large ornate cabinet, my inflection, he gets angry and says I'm ungrateful. As for children, I'm beginning to think they'll never be an option as we simply don't have the space. Well, it seems the way forward is clear. You just have to kill your husband or yourself. This episode of Ask Us Literally Anything was brought to you by stubbing your toe or the excruciating pain of a serious bodily injury without any of the sympathy from your family or friends. Flesh-eating zombies. Oh, what a disgusting man! Demonic hell beasts. Never ending. It's just like the whole Gina's hole. Well, that concludes the inaugural episode of Humidorm. I want to thank you for joining us, but that would be effectively thanking myself and the five other people who featured in this episode and thus are the only ones who listen to it. I think this whole exercise has already been overwhelmingly hubristic, so I'll instead say see you next fortnight. I'm telling you like a dog, that's a fucking acting, you mind. Go fucking bed! <laughs>